G'day guys, welcome back to the No Name Podcast. Uh, my name is Ross Katzenbarnes. Uh, with you here today on the nineteenth of May, two thousand and twenty. Uh, today's a Tuesday. It's a pretty, pretty interesting, uh, interesting day. Now I just finished. Wanted to go through. Uh, I know I've been doing this a bit over the last few weeks and going over the uh, the last dance documentary uh, and some of the stuff that was was mentioned in that. So spoiler alert: if anyone hasn't watched it, go and watch it. Um, do yourselves a favour. If you're not watching it, then how do I say this uh, politely? Well, if you're not watching it, uh, that oh, I just don't think that oh, I think you're missing out on something that's really, really great. Uh, first of all, and I think you're learning, uh, you're missing out on opportunity to sort of engage yourself in in something that is uh, that, that is actually a lot more than Michael Jordan. It's a lot more than basketball. I think it's a really good. I think the actual documentary has been produced and, and directed and and edited so perfectly. Uh, in, in the way that it's been done, that it actually makes it a lot more about basketball, um, a lot more than just being about basketball. Uh, I mean, if you if you look at it, it's just a, it, it's incredible to look at. And I mean, look, uh, episodes episodes nine and, and ten, which are the last couple of episodes, obviously focus on um, the the Eastern Conference Finals in nineteen ninety eight uh, against the Indiana Pacers. Uh, where where I used to, the Bulls kind of look shot for most of it, um, but but somehow again you know Game Seven comes out. I think it was the second. It was only the second time Jordan ever faced a Game Seven before, and uh, he, he came up clutch against Reggie Miller in the Pacers. So I think if you have a look, a guy like Reggie Miller, uh, he played in the in the league in the NBA probably the best part of twenty years, I'd say. Yeah, so he played eighteen seasons, all of which were with the India. All of which were with the Indiana Pacers. He was a five-time All-Star. Uh, and he made the All-NBA third team three times. So I thought that was a bit, bit weird. But look, he's 31. Number 31 has been retired by uh, retired by the Pacers. So I guess, as I've said before, if your number is retired, you basically are an absolute superstar. He won a gold medal at the 96 uh, Olympics in, in Atlanta uh, with the USA team. Um, but I'm just having a look here, and, and Miller, um, I, I guess the way I look at him is he's kind of a very similar player to Jordan in the fact that he's the, the franchise player on his team. Uh, he, he's the one that's out there. He's the one that's making all the shots. Uh, but he just can't get past Michael Jordan, and that's, I think, one of the great things is that you look at the players that Jordan came up against, uh, and there were some, there's some genuine stars uh, of of the NBA back then, even now, and uh, through history, but it doesn't doesn't really say uh, doesn't really say. I guess it does actually illustrate because throughout you sort of see a few of his rivals and, and how they talk about him. But the guy's genuinely a freak. Like the guy's getting harassed most nights on the court by everyone out there on the field and <laughs> out there on the court. Sorry, that that was that was their job basically to go out there and harass Jordan. Uh, and you just see the way he handled it. He, he built himself up, and I think it's a really there's some really good life lessons out of it too. Uh, but I'll go on that in a bit later. Uh, and then you look at you look at what happened, I guess, in the last last episode where they talk about uh, you know what it was like and, and some of the things like I didn't I obviously knew what had happened, and I think it talks about talks about the '97 win um, when Jordan has his his flu game where effectively. He, food poisoning the day before goes out and shoots 40 45 plus in utah uh, and gets the bulls the win 
totally under the weather, looks absolutely cooked, but somehow manages to find his way, find his way into this zone uh, where he just concentrates, goes bag, bag, bag. So I think that was that was one of the um, that that was one of the more amazing things I think you could see, and then. Even in 98, the final series, like Scotty Pippen in game six, he was cooked, his back was stuffed, but he went out there as a decoy, basically. Um, one, of the, one of the greatest things you'll ever see, you just look at guys like that, and you look at performances like that, and you think, wow, these teams are, are genuinely great because of the people that are in them. I think that's really important. So I really enjoyed that. So a few things that I took out of it, I think, as I sort of said just before, uh, it's not all about... It's not all about the one person. I think it's very much about the team. I think that's what the last dance actually reflects on. I mean, a lot of it does reflect around Jordan, don't get me wrong, uh, but I think a lot of it actually brings into that team element, but that actually reminds everyone that there was there were teams behind him. Um, you know, you look at his early stages in career, uh, there's guys like Scotty Pippen. Oh no, Scotty Pippen sort of comes in, the Bulls, Bulls start climbing up a little bit. Horace Grant is there as well. Um, guys like... Uh, Bill Cartwright as well is, is there early on uh, for that initial three-peat. Guys like John Paxson as well. So it's actually quite interesting to look at um, those teams uh, as compared to the sort of the second three-peat side uh, because the same thing, there might not have been genuine star power all round, uh, most likely, but these guys, they, they genuinely worked hard. And I think that, that was the great thing about Jordan is he kind of knew when to when to take the ball himself and run with it, and then when to when to give it to his teammates um, to sort of take the spotlight a bit away from him or, you know, when he was being double-teamed, etc. So you saw that in 93 uh, with Paxson. You saw that in 98 with Steve Kerr as well. He, we knew when he was being double-teamed. He knew he, when he was going to be double-teamed. He knew when and how to give it to a bloke who was open. And that was the thing that he did. And I think... I think that's that's really important. I think he's one of those guys that actually realizes a lot more to a team than just one person, uh, especially in a sport like that. So, I think that's that's really a fantastic element to see, and I think you can you can even probably translate it into to work life or corporate life or whatever you want to do, even at local sports. If you've got a dominant player, so if you've got a dominant individual in your organization, if they make it all about them, well, it's not really going to be. I guess it's not really going to be an effective way. You've got to make sure that that, that person has to kind of acknowledge that they are probably the best person out there and then intertwine that uh, into in, into the other members of, of that team, that organisation, uh, and, and try and do that as best they can uh, to, to outline that overall success. So I think... It's amazing to see, and I think, look, this this whole thing probably could have gone on for another thirty hours. They probably could have done another thirty hours with this stuff, and it would have been would have been awesome. But, um, I mean, it, it's amazing to see, uh, the last dance and 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 how amazing they were. Uh, I just, I just, I, I just can't get over it. Really, I think it's you know, actually. It's not probably you know, the greatest doc I've seen all the time, but it's, it's really interesting. I think it really is thought-provoking. Um, it's, it's a great bit of sports storytelling uh, and, and storyline telling and all of this. And I think the other thing you look at it is obviously Jordan, and, and you see some of the things that he did um, through adversity. I think you've got to... I think it's very easy to just translate it to, well, his adversity was actually 
was actually his strength in a way um, because when he was facing the most adversity is when he was actually at his strongest. He was actually at his best uh, when he was facing that uh, that adversity. And I think that's what made him such a great player, but such a such a revered figure for generations. Is because when that when the heat was t- the heat was uh, the heat was on, and it was getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Uh, it was genuinely unbelievable. Uh, I, I just, I can't put it any other way. The guy literally knew when when it was his turn to shine, and that's what he did. Um, I think if, I saw a stat the other day saying that Jordan was 50% all time in time shots slash game-winning shots in the last minute uh, of a game. I think the next best was Dirk Nowitzki on 37, 38%. Uh, and and then after that, I think Kobe and LeBron were sort of at 25% mark uh, in terms of, of shots made. So it's incredible. It's actually genuinely incredible to have a look at uh, guys like Jordan who were genuinely able to hit 50%. So you knew when he took the ball in the last minute of the game that he was a one in two chance. If the scores were tied, or if he needed to tie it or to put the, uh, the balls in front, uh, he was going to get that one in two times, which is a fair bit more than anyone else was ever going to get it in the, in the history of the NBA. I think that's that's incredible to look at. It's actually it's actually incredible to look at. I think, and even when I think about it, and I just think how how clutch the guy was, like genuinely, genuinely clutch in everything, uh, everything he did in the way he did it. So, I think you can you can really look at a guy like that and think, wow, he's he's genuinely improved, uh, improved out of sight. Uh, throughout the, 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 I just don't see it as any other ways. He was just, he knew when it was his time uh, and, and he could go. And when the heat was on, he was there. He just improved and improved and improved. I think that the pressure actually was something that he enjoyed. So I think that's something people can take out of it. Sometimes, I think when you're under the heat pressure, you're under, you're under the pump, uh, you can try and sort of do as Jordan does and actually twist it to your advantage um, and really thrive and, and really thrive on it and, and actually harness it to your advantage uh, rather than sort of you step up to the plate rather than step down to the plate um, or stepping away. So I think I think I loved, that's what I loved about that. Um, and and that's, that's sort of personified throughout the, the doco. Um, I think it's, that's, that's one of the really important themes that gets shown throughout. I think another uh, important theme that I can think of during my head is just uh, he actually was... You know, Jordan, I think for all the, all the shit that um, people give him and stuff, Jordan as a character is actually probably, as a person, as basketball, is actually probably one of the more, uh, I guess, how, how, how would I best describe it? He's probably the most uh, intense guy you'll probably see out there, that's for sure. Uh, he wants to win at all costs, but he's actually... When he's actually there, he's not really thinking about anything else. Like he's very focused and determined, and I think uh, he's, you know, he's channeling towards that goal that he wants. So if he's playing golf, he wants to score the last round. If he's gambling, he's playing some Texas Hold'em poker. He wants to win. At that, he's not thinking about who we're playing next week or you know why we're on this flight. He he's just there right in that moment at that one time. Thinking, yep, I'm right here in the spot. I'm in the zone. And I'm ready to go. And that was what he was like on the court. Uh, so I think people can look at that and think, you know what, this guy, he had all this 
um, and that's the other thing too, the, the hype and everything around him, like all the hype that was around him, um, I guess, yeah, he was a bit of a, you know, he's a massive personality, but he never let that sort of sway from what he actually wanted to focus on and doing, uh, which is really important. And that was, uh, look, a lot of the times, what he wanted to do was win. And that's what he did. I mean, you look at him, the Bulls won six championships in eight seasons. One of the seasons they didn't win, he didn't play at all. Uh, and the other season he played barely half the season. So literally, his, six full, his last six full seasons of the Bulls, he won six championships. Uh, and, you know, the, the Chicago Bulls, as they were saying at the start of the docker, were literally a laughing stock uh, in Chicago. No one gave a shit about the Bulls. And then Jordan came along by the end of his rookie season. The, most games were sold out. So the guy was genuinely a phenomenon uh, from, from the very start. And he transcends culture. I think that's the other thing that I picked up is, is genuinely Jordan's, uh, Jordan's imprint transcends everything. Um, even David Stern said at the start of the 90s, uh, I think the NBA is broadcast into 80 countries, including Australia. Um, by the end of the no, but not even the end of the 90s, I think he said today, sort of, so probably would have been modern age, 2017, probably 2018, he probably could have been interviewed, or 2019. The NBA is beamed into over 280 different countries. So I think guys like Jordan, um, what he does is he transcends basketball, he transcends culture, mixes a bit of both in together and, and genuinely you get Air Jordans, everyone wants to wear Jordans out and, and that that culture continues today. So I think a lot of it starts with Jordan. Um but and all this amazing stuff, he's still you know, he's still a successful guy and all that, but he's he's focused and determined on what he wants to do. Uh I think that's that's what that's what I really like about him. I think that's what people can all that's what uh people can take out of it as well. Uh, is is that knowing that that it's and that's the other thing I, I really take out of it too. Sometimes you know it's the last dance, uh, and I think a lot of the times you might know it's the last dance, uh, but you don't, you probably don't treat it that way. Whereas I think Jordan genuinely did. Um, that, that's what he genuinely wanted to do. He genuinely treated it that as his last dance, and that was that was what he wanted to go. He wanted to go out on top. He wanted to go out a winner. Um, that's what he did when he MVP that year on the finals MVP and won the finals. I mean, you look at the guy and think, wow, how how amazing is that? How how absolutely unbelievable is that? And you look at him, I even look at Jordan as a person, right? Jordan made 100 million bucks basically playing in the NBA, just out of playing in the NBA. Um, he has, he's got a net worth of $2.1 billion now. Um, he's basically got a whole bunch of lucrative um, sponsorships, Nike, Air Jordan brands, it's basically all him. Uh, that's 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 the uh, that's the thing. And then he's got golf courses, restaurants. Um, you know, he's got plenty of houses. Uh, and you look at him and you think, wow, this guy's this guy's unbelievable. And then on, on top of that, he actually owns the Charlotte Hornets. He's the majority owner of the Charlotte of, of the Charlotte uh, Charlotte Hornets. So absolutely good on him there. Uh, and I think that's. That's that's what people have to look at as well. I think every Jordan, one of the one of the traits that I really like about him is the fact that he wants to turn every post into a winner. Uh, that's that's what he wants to do. Uh, he just he just wants to win at everything. I think sometimes that can be a bit destructive, but in his, his in his way, he's actually able to do it really well. I mean, have a look at this, right? The guy literally signed a two hundred fifty thousand dollar a year. Sneaker deal with Nike in 1984. So that's what 36 years ago today. 250,000 US a year. Uh, he's now making about 130 million dollars out of Nike himself. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. Like, genuinely. I think, you know, Jordan the brand brings in $3 billion in revenue for Nike every year. $3 billion. That's huge. Like, we're talking serious, serious numbers here. Uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't poo, poo change, that's for sure. Uh, you know, things like Like Mike, um, you know, Be Like Mike, uh, when, he, when he had that Gatorade ad as well, I think you look at that and you think, geez, that's just so catchy, but it just gets it. Like, people are still saying, oh, I want to be like Michael, I want to be like Jordan, I want to be like Michael. Um, that's the thing here. One of the other things I realised is, people when you say his name, they're like, oh, Jordan. You know, everyone knows who Jordan is. You know, you know everyone knows that you're not talking about, uh, you know, you're not really talking about any other athlete with the last name Jordan. I can't even think of one. You're not talking about athletes with the first name Jordan. You're not talking about them. You're talking about Michael Jordan, MJ, Michael, Jordan. You know, you can say either of those names and, and everyone just knows exactly who he is. No matter, you might not even know his sport, but you know who Jordan is. And that's what's amazing about it. It's actually really cool to know, guys, that Jordan Jordan actually bought the, the Charles Lawrence in 2010. So he bought him for $175 million. Um, the full kit and caboodle. I think he now owns, he now owns about 97%. He sold a little bit of it off. He sold 97%. It's been valued at over 1.5 billion. So he owns the rights to the stadium as well. I think that's incredible when you think about it. Um, things I things I actually liked in the um, in in the in the last last dance as well. Going back onto that, I'll talk a bit about that. I think um, things I like and and didn't like. Um, I think the way that they, uh, the way they portray uh, Jerry Krause is kind of like the, the villain, like the guy that doesn't want this to happen. He wants Bill Jackson to back off. He wants Michael Jordan to piss off. He wants Scott Goodman to piss off. He doesn't give a shit. He wants to, you know, he'd rather rebuild the team, right? Um, and, and I think you look at it and you think, yep, you know, even Pippen comes out and says in the last episode, hey, we can't knock this guy. Like, we've got to give him some credit. He was, you know, it was the GM of those teams, um, and and yeah, and, and even Pippen said, you know, genuinely, this guy was the the greatest general manager in the history of basketball. Um, it, you know, I mean, it's 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 interesting. Like you look at Kraus and you look at him, and you look at the guy, and he genuinely he looks like an outcast. Like he just. You just look at him. And you, I don't know. Any, I didn't know anything about it. Didn't know who he was before I watched it. You look at him and you kind of feel sorry for him in a way because he does feel like a little bit of a, an outcast. Like he's, you know, short, you know, non-athletic. Um, you know, he throws jabs at everyone. Like he's kind of a an antagonistic figure. And and uh, I mean, it's it's weird because I guess the thing is, unfortunately, Jerry Kraus passed away a few years ago. Um, so he can't actually defend himself at all uh, in this. So it, it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see what what goes on, but or what went on behind closed doors. Um, but that that was it. Yeah, I think Kraus is Kraus is definitely an interesting character uh, the whole way whole way throughout uh, the show. A bit of the antagonist. Uh, it's it's interesting to see what. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's interesting to see what, um, what sort of the sort of stuff that that happened behind the scenes. I think probably it's actually one thing I would have liked to have seen a bit more was, you know, guys like Tony Kukoc, um, massive part of the, the thing. Um, 
barely in the barely in the in the docos talking. Um, guys like Chorus Grant, um, not really massive roles in it either. Uh, Ron Harper even like Ron Harper was the starting point guard for the Bulls uh, for a long, long time. Barely said a word in the whole thing. Um, but a guy that literally didn't say anything, and he, oh, he, he was in it in probably about four or five different spurts. Um, at, at all was was uh, was Luke Longley, and I think it's pretty obvious why. Like Luke Longley's a pretty quiet guy. He's from Perth. I think he's not even. I think basically like Luke Longley. Luke Longley's so quiet. Like Longley won three championships with the Bulls. Um, went to um, went to Phoenix after that. Went to went to the Knicks after that for a little while, but they weren't really. Uh, how, how would I describe it? I don't think that. Uh, don't think that it was really really um really sort of his thing after that i think he was he's pretty banged up uh in the body after so i think in in 1998 after the bulls won a championship i think he was 20 he was 29 but he was, his body was pretty banged up so he wasn't going to be an absolute star or anything like that um for, for much longer but i think he got some money from phoenix so he's happy to take that obviously everyone does um but it's, it's really interesting from what what was said so I think Longley, yeah, he just didn't like, he just doesn't like the spotlight. I mean, the guy's from Perth, and I think his kids, I read the other day, his kids are now like growing up, going to uni or whatever, moved out of home. So him and his wife decided to move down to Denmark, which is sort of a town on the Margaret River, uh, in the Margaret River region, about three hours south of Perth. So this guy literally lives in Perth, um, which is a beautiful place, um, and, and I've heard Denmark's a beautiful place as well. I've never actually been there, but I've heard it's very nice. But Perth's a pretty isolated sort of place, and he decides to move through south of Perth. So that's the kind of character Luke Longley is. I don't think he doesn't really like the media, or the spotlights, or anything like that. Um, and, and it's just incredible. Like I'm reading here that literally after the championships, they went to um, some guy said it on Potty that they went. There's like a photo of all these places in the Bulls. So there's Tony Kukoc, Jed Butler, uh, Steve Kerr, Bill Winnington. So guys, you know, guys are on the team. Some some really you know important players of the Bulls, but not the not the main guys, obviously. Um, and Luke Longley is actually in the photo. Luke Longley's name isn't even there. Uh, so he's kind of, um, I guess he's, he's kind of the forgotten man, very much so. Um, I, I just think he's one of these guys that likes to make private and. Uh, and, and good luck to him, but yeah, I think I think I would have liked to have seen him a bit more as an Aussie, uh, just just from a biased point of view. So, but yeah, I, I must say, I really, really, really enjoyed, uh, really enjoyed the last dance. As I said to anyone, if anyone hasn't watched it, go and watch it. You learn a lot about Michael Jordan. You learn a lot about the Bulls at the time. You learn a lot about the NBA in, in that era. But you also learn a lot about teams and, and culture and, and winning organizations as well. And I think that that pursuit that Jordan had to to be the best at everything. Uh, you know, started to rub off on all of his teammates, and it was just—it was just incredible. So, uh, yeah, I can't can't wait. Hopefully, I think there's an ESPN have got another doco coming out of Lance Armstrong soon, so that'd be good to watch. But yeah, Last Dance, go and watch it. Uh, I would highly recommend. I uh, hope you all have a good evening, and go and watch the Last Dance, please.